This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, beer buddies, and welcome to another session on the Hot Forward podcast. This week, I brewed again for the first time in months. I rather ambitiously and successfully, might I add, mashed in prior to the school run. I hit all my temperatures and pHs. I got to grips with all the new equipment I've been amassing while building my very modest brewery in what is now dubbed as the beer keller under my house. And I brewed a half barrel of East Kent Goldings and Bodicea Hopped English Pale Ale because, well, quite frankly, I miss sessionable cast beer. And I thought for a dry run to get to grips with all the efficiencies on the kit, I'd brew something just sessionable and, you know, casky. So there you go. And I survived to tell the tale. Now, you might be listening to this and thinking, meh, big deal. My conical fermenters shit out bigger yeast dumps than your entire batch of English Pale Ale. And you'd be right to think that. But I did it. I can't tell you how much I've busted my ass to get to this point where I'm able to produce and sell beer again. And this week was a momentous occasion and a massive step in the right direction. Now, I don't want to be the next Cloudwater or Northern Monk or Tiny Rebel. I've dealt with all those inner demons. I'm just happy to work my business, run this podcast, take my kids to school and brew some beer on the side, which is easier than it sounds. Especially when you discover that despite installing an extractor fan in your cellar, pumping steam up through the ducting through a coal chute of a house built in 1901 still causes a lot of conversation on raw sandstone and brickwork. And believe me, troubleshooting a maxi 110 chiller to get the pump to recirculate while trying to manage a transfer where the bloody water pressure kept blasting the hose barb off the can lock, causing water to gush all over the floor, is easier than it sounds. I think it was a combination, though, of the smells, the sweat, the heat, the hops, the yeast, the refractometer, the wrestling with equipment, and the wishing you had an X, Y, or Z to make your brew day, and therefore your life, so much easier. All those little things that you encounter as a brewer daily that you probably take for granted, I've really, really missed. Because deep down inside, I'm a frustrated brewer. I'm too entrepreneurial, though, to stay confined to brew house, mashing in and doing all the cleaning, yet too much of a brewer to just want to spend my days cutting deals, pouring over cash flow forecasts and sweet-talking investors to backing whatever my latest startup is. As I smelled those hops intermingling with the wort during the vigorous boil, a smell, by the way, that you stop smelling when you're around it day in, day out, all those memories of why I got into the brewing industry in the first place came flooding back to make great beer, to be creative, which is my lifeblood, to share my story with the world through the art and science of brewing. I remembered those days years ago in my kitchen, experimenting with fermentation and flavours and wondering how the next batch would come out, dreaming about being the next Sierra Nevada or brewing up the next Jaipur. I've met a lot of people who have become jaded and tired with the whole thing. But through Hot Forward, I've also had the privilege of meeting and working with a whole variety of entrepreneurs, 
business owners, pro brewers, home brewers, aspiring brewers, journalists and authors, designers and artists, consultants, suppliers and beer drinkers who still have that passion and drive and ambition for craft beer, whatever that means to them. One such person is my friend Jason Bailiff. A railway engineer by trade, Jason took his passion for homebrewing to the next level by converting an old derelict coach house from the 1830s, which once held the dray horses of the old Hart brewing family of Broadtown and Royal Wootton Bassett, and bought not one, but two 500-litre German engineer Braumeisters, the only two in the UK, might I add, and started Broadtown Brewery. Jason's one of the people that I first met through this podcast and he soon approached me to design his labels and build him a website and we struck up a friendship and as I got to know Jason through casual conversations on messenger or virtual beers over zoom it became apparent that he and I both share the same zeal and enthusiasm for brewing a business. And now he employs a small team of people to help run the brewery, including full-time brewer Nathan Beat, formerly senior brewer at Cotswold Brewery and head brewer at the White Horse Brewery in Oxford, to help produce and develop the core range and speciality beers. Recently, the family hosted a socially distanced beer festival called Alpaca Fields, which isn't some kind of obscure reference to an early 90s indie band, but because they own three alpacas. It's been an absolute pleasure to watch this brewery start to take shape and grow, albeit from a distance. It's easy to think that beer is all about the latest hit brewery in some urban area, smashing out hazy IPAs, when in fact Broadtown Brewery has a huge appeal to the locals in an area just outside of Swindon, which isn't really a place you would associate with beer at all. So much so that Jason and the team are working on the Hop Chapel, the Broadtown Brewery tap room with reclaimed stained glass windows, a pipe organ and wooden chapel doors. I wanted to get Jason on the podcast as two friends talking about the growth of a brewery in those early days. I remember them well and if you've started a brewery of your own, I hope you remember them as well. That feeling like everything you touch turns to gold. It's exciting and I'm humbled to be able to personally play a small part in helping Broadtown Brewery by doing what I feel like I do best, making your beer look as good as it tastes. In this conversation, we talk about what it's like coming into the brewing scene relatively late to the party and just before the coronavirus pandemic. We talk about how having a different background in a different industry has helped shape the brewery. And how the growth of the brewery has largely been fueled by local people wanting local beer. Me and Jason recorded this conversation over Zoom, like many conversations that are happening at the moment for most of us. So I apologise about the audio quality in places. It does improve after the first few minutes. I'm hoping one day soon I'll actually get to go down and visit Jason and Broadtown Brewery in person. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more and try some of their beers, head over to broadtownbrewery.co.uk and you can find out more information and purchase their beer online, which I believe should be at the start of October available for national delivery. Each and every week, we're partnering with Brew School to bring you the latest in brewing jobs and careers in the UK brewing and beverage industry. This week's featured job is as a production brewer at Kirkstall Brewery in Leeds. 
Having looked around Curtis Dunn myself, it's a pretty impressive piece of kit installed by SSV Limited, which also have officers on sites. And you'll be working under technical brewer Will Inman, who is a fountain of knowledge and has got loads of experience in brewing. The role includes but isn't limited to the following cellar works, so that's running a centrifuge, dry hopping and cleaning tanks, brewing on the semi-automated 50 hectolitre plants, five vessels in total, where you'll need to adhere to strict QA systems, maintaining a clean and hazard-free working environment. And there are potential extra roles which could include lab works that would be including things like microbial study checks and propagating yeast, etc. And running their microcan ML10 canning line, which can churn out 3,000 cans an hour. In terms of requirements, uh, they're looking for two years minimal commercial brewery experience. You need to be physically fit and motivated and have good time management and organisational skills. Basic knowledge of beer production and an interest in the craft brewing industry is essential, as is the ability to work unrestricted in the UK and work flexible hours. Mark your application for the attention of Will Inman by heading over to brewing-jobs.com, finding the job and clicking apply to this job today. Brewing Jobs is the first dedicated jobs board for brewing jobs and careers. So get ready for a career in brewing in partnership with Brew School only at brewing-jobs.com. Finally, be sure to follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Visit our website for more info how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business at hopforward.beer. Head over to Facebook and join our growing community of brewers and beer professionals alike by searching Hot Forward in the Facebook groups. And be sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already to automatically download the latest episodes each and every week. So thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this conversation that I had with Jason Bailiff from Broadtown Brewery talking about their journey so far with beers, brownmeisters and alpacas. Today on the Hot Four Podcast, I'm joined by my good friend Jason Bailiff, owner of Broadtown Brewery in Wiltshire. Hello. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Yes. Good, good. Along with a good amount of well-seasoned professionals this year, we, we also get listeners who are interested in entering the industry for the first time. And as a fairly new pro brewer yourself to the industry, I'd love for you to share your journey and what just what I've kind of observed, getting to know you a bit, um, you know, and given that you don't come from a brewing background, and, and just how you found it. Um, so, for, firstly, just for the benefit of our listeners, can you share with them your background and tell us why and how you set up Broadtown Brewery? Yeah, of course. So, uh, well, I'm a railway engineer by uh, obviously by profession, and I have been for 32 years, um, but always loved making beer and. Over the years, you know, I, I think I've got reasonably good at it, not too bad, got better and better. But then um, also with working with the railway, obviously the, the biggest fault of working with the railway, if there is one, is I can't drink before going on duty. So I had lots and lots of really, really good mates that used to love all the beer I made and used to drink it all. But they, I remember time and time again, they'd always say, oh, um, Chase, you need to go professional, you need to do this properly. But the one thing is, you know, when you have a full-time job, what you never get to do is ever diversify into another uh, job and get trained up. And so um, about uh, two and a half years ago, three years ago, I decided to do some actual proper training. And I went to uh, like the, um, the new Bristol Brewery with Noel and these guys and 
uh, got some proper training and understanding, you know, the real chemistry behind things and, and how, how what I was making, all, uh, why why it was good, the reasons why it was good, so I could then understand, you know, what, what I could do to tweak it. So um, I decided that I would one day have the brainwave, I'm going to buy a big fermenter because that would give me some sort of drive because <laughs> I'm going to spend a lot of money on it. But um, it would give me a drive to do something about it. So um, unfortunately, um, a brewery up in Stratford-upon-Avon were basically were ceasing to trade. And I noticed that they had one of their FVs, a 625 litre FV for sale online. So I thought I'd go up and have a look and if it's any good, I'll buy it. And when I got there, they had the whole brewery for sale, which sounds quite bizarre really, but I walked in and just absolutely fell in love with every bit of kit they had in there. Because um, they obviously have the Brymeister equipment, uh, which is obviously the German spec engineered Brymeister 500 litre, and they had two sat by side. And you can imagine me walking into that room and hugely intimidated, you know, by this this brew equipment mm. and this separate cool room, obviously for the FVs, and suddenly deciding, wow, this is everything I could ever dream of. Uh, you know, maybe one day, and the guy there who owned it literally just said to me, well, make me an offer for everything. And I was like, that's crazy. I'm, I'm no way I could do this. So anyway, within about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, we discussed it. And I bought everything for a very, very, very good price. And uh, at that point was the turning for me because I suddenly realized um, I've got an old coach house at the house where I am, which at that point was pretty much derelict. And there's a no, you know, I couldn't even store anything in it, let alone put a brewery in it because it's about 250 years old. And I suddenly decided, okay, I've got to really make a go of this now. And really, it took me about six months to eight months to get it renovated and get it ready uh, for the equipment to go into, which we did. And then it was only towards October, the end of last year, that I brewed, which had always been my first beer. I always knew my first beer was going to be, which was I always wanted to do an English pale ale, uh, which I called Fetner's Finest. And that was going to be my first beer. And from that moment, everything suddenly became very serious. And suddenly I was casking, bottling, and people liked the beer. And that was, that was, a, that was a really, really big turning point for me because I still cast myself as an amateur. And mm. I always will class myself as an amateur because I've met some phenomenal brewers. And I'm absolutely on their wavelength. And we all talk the same language. But you only know how good you are at beer, at making beer, until someone looks at you after they've tasted your beer. Because no matter how much they try to hide it, their expression on the face always tells you how good your beer are. (laughs) So it was was quite humbling with a lot of people just to get a tap on the shoulder and sort of a nod of the head saying, well done, you know. So although I am an amateur, I, I, I... a lot of people don't necessarily treat me that way, which is very humbling, which is really good. Yeah. So the next part of the journey really was meeting people on the way. And as you know, you say, you know, we're great friends. I was very, very fortunate to meet you, uh, John, uh, on my travels, where my logo and the ideas for the, for the beers and everything, which I'd created in my head and, and obviously produced a design for, um, you made very real, very quickly. And, and then even from... I think, you know, from meeting me the first time you met me, I'm not uh, prissy about my designs. I'm not overly, you know, um, protective of, you know, fonts and things like that. And I always believe that 
other people can always bring something better to what you're doing. And that's happened on multiple levels. Um, for me, uh, bringing you in to take over the web page and to take the designs from me and make them better. That happened. Um, also, some other friends of mine that uh, pushed me more on the marketing side, gave me some crazy ideas and how we could do things to sell beer better. And that really, really helped because obviously, you know, when we went to COVID, um, our output tripled. And and then a more recent recent um, uh, change in the way that we're running the brewery is that um, I brought in uh, a head brewer, yeah. someone to take over for me, somebody that really knows what they're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, so anyway, yeah, so it, a lot of, lot of change. So let, let's touch upon that. So you, you took on Nathan B, who he was a senior brewer yeah. at Cotswold Brewery and then head brewer at the Whitehorse Brewery in Oxford. I mean, yeah. um, like, how did you come to that decision and what factors did you have to make when taking on your first employee? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm personally interested myself because I'm starting to get to a point where I'm like, yeah. I can't do everything. And, and I, I know all the business stuff. I'm like, you're not meant to do everything. You're meant to work on your business, not in it, etc. But it's always quite a big jump to actually do that. And I think there'll be a lot of brewers listen to this where it's a, a you know, one or two person show and they're like, oh, you know, and maybe they're co-owners. And it's kind of like, right now we need to take on an employee. It's a big step. So, like, what, 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 how did you sort of process that? Because I know we talked about that. Uh, how did you process yeah. that and then make that decision? And um, how do you feel like that's paying off? Well, I, I think I think I'd realised um, that the core four beers that I were making that I decided um, were at a level where I felt that it, it was probably the best that I could do that I could make. And then, like I said, I had this chance meeting with Nathan. Really, I mean, I've, I've read about Nathan. I'd heard of him before and heard of the work he was doing elsewhere. And I, I was brewing on a, on a Saturday afternoon and literally he came through the brewery because I had all the doors open and obviously introduced himself and we got chatting. And the, 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 the parallel in our minds and the way we do things and the way we, the way we understood each other, were, it, would just, it was just bang on straight away. We knew exactly. He knew where I was going. He knew what I wanted to do. And his focus was but I can make everything you're doing now solid in is that, you know, what um, what you're making every day of the week will go out the same every week and I'll, in, I'll ensure that. So, Jace, you carry on. We're coming up with the ideas of all the special types of beers you want to do and styles. And I'll tell you where to tweak it, what we need to do differently. And that, that's what I really needed was somebody that I could really bounce those ideas off because, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, in my mind, I've had some really crazy suggestions of what I wanted to do. And they haven't actually been that crazy. Mm. So what I found out, and you know, we've also, you know, we've recently done this raspberry wheat beer, uh, which obviously just went into the fermenter beginning of this week. And when I first came up with this idea, you know, it, it was a completely new style for me. And I, wheat beer is one of my favourite beers. You know, I really, really enjoy it. And having somebody there to say, you know, actually, you know, if we we do this slightly different, you know, with the overall grain bill, if we look at you know the second part of it, you know, when are we going to put the the purees in and all this for the for the proper raspberries going in how are we going to do it it was just nice to have that comfort because i'm not the type of person who will do uh say for instance get my grandfather out and do a little brew and and because no two brews are the same yeah no matter what what kit you're on and i learned that that lesson very early and uh we chat with nathan and nathan looked at me and sort of said well do you do you do a sample brew and i said no i just generally go for it and i think he liked that you know, because my, my first brew that goes out would be what people, you know, what, what they're going to get as a first purchase. If they, if I, 
if I get 50 people come back to me and go, you know, that was a little bit tart or, you know, it's a little bit hoppy or it's this, I know that I've got to make some really good changes in that beer. But if I'm selling 250 bottles or 250 growlers and two people come back to me and say, actually, you know, that wasn't really hoppy enough, I know I'm pretty much there. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm relying on is as much as when I taste it, if I'm not necessarily happy with it, I'm still happy to let the public make, let me know if it's right or wrong. And that that's the hardest decision to make. I mean. uh, and, and I think that was a, a really, really early understanding because there are some brewers who just, I've always been on the belief that you, I brew what I like because that's what I want to make. Mm. But then if people, if the public come back to me, and because we're only 500 litre batch, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're niche brews, it, it's small enough to tweak each time, you know, when we let it go. I mean, one of the criticisms, not criticism, but it was, it was a positive criticism. It was that Fettler's, we were told, could be a little bit stronger because of the ABV, because, you know, we had a session ale at 3.6, and then we had Fettler's EPA at 3.8. So this time, we've strengthened it. we made it a bit stronger. You know, the colour's the same. The malt's still a very malty style of beer, which is what we were going for. And, you know, the, the reception we've had to that has been phenomenal. You know, it, it's now an even better beer, although I never get any credit for it because I've got a head brewer in there. So, <laughs> so it, it won't be because of me. Which, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know and, and that's great because um, it, it has been really, really hard over the last four weeks to let go. You know, giving, giving somebody who was almost a complete stranger, really, you know, free reign to run uh, the brewery, and for me to come in and actually feeling like I actually shouldn't be in there because, you know, someone's busy making beer. But, um, yeah, Nathan has, Nathan has proved to be a massive asset to the business. Mm. And, um, in four weeks, the fact now that I've got six FVs now full of beers in different stages, and I can honestly say I've probably contributed about two hours to the whole process. Yep. And probably an hour that I shouldn't even been in there. So uh, to bring on somebody, I think I was very lucky. I met Nathan. Nathan um, came to me, so I didn't have to interview him, which obviously I didn't have to take six people in and make that decision. So uh, a bit like you, when I met you, you know, instantly I knew we were going to get on. I don't know if it's a reflection more on me or more on the people, that, but I think it's just a case of that um, I know when I need help. And, and that's the key thing is to understand. I mean, because as you know, I still have a full-time job because uh, I'm still obviously a railway engineer, which is obviously my, one of my biggest passions. But... Um, it's, it's understanding when you need help. And, and if you can understand that and your, your business model is saying initially, okay, I'm going to make a loss for maybe a couple of months, but that loss eventually not only takes away the negative parts, which is of your home life, but in the same breath gives you that back, which then enables your brain to then expand, right, okay, where are we going next? Mm. And I think that's the key. That was always the key thing for me, that my brain was so swapped with making beer, I wasn't getting a chance to focus on, well, actually, where is this beer going? Which is really, really important. And and I think that that's what you've got to understand. is if, if you're not finding it hard work with what you're doing, then you're not ready to employ somebody if, you, if you're at the point where you're thinking, you know what, I can barely sleep at night because I'm trying to do my full-time job and do this as a small brewery, 
then you really need help and you've got to do it whether you're going to you know lose a bit of money or not it's so important yeah talk to me through then because you were saying about um that moment where you're, like, you walk into the brewery and you're feeling like oh i shouldn't be in here like talk, talk to me through yeah. that because I, I would imagine for for some people that's that's going to be like yourself you know that's, that's a real dynamic you've got to kind of wrestle through and yet i've i've worked for people in the past that have been basically micromanagers where it's every little thing every little detail they're in there you know having their 10 penneth worth and you're kind of like you know I, I can do this you know but like so, no no it needs to be like this and so on so like how, how do you kind of like not do that um whilst managing to um you know not you know to overcome those insecurities maybe even um that you, you might feel as being like oh I'm, I'm i'm taking my hands off what was my my personal baby so to speak yeah. and now kind of it becomes an entity in its own right I think I think again I've been really fortunate with Nathan because Nathan um, throughout every brew that we do, first thing is he says to me, right, can I have your recipe? And actually, giving him my recipe is probably the hardest thing because although there is a brewer's code of conduct and nobody takes anybody's recipes anywhere, there's still all that wor- that worry that you know I've I've been brewing this for a long time and I really don't want to see this pop up somewhere else. But I got that with Nathan straight away; that wouldn't be a problem. But it's, it's quite funny when when you actually give a, a brewer, a real brewer, a recipe, because as he's reading that recipe, he's already tasting it, if that makes sense. Mm. And if he knows the colour, he's already worked out. I mean, little things, little nuances where, you know, I, you know, where I'd be putting in what type of hops I'd be putting at the start of the boil. And then you get a frame like, oh, wow, one and a half kg right at the front end. Mm, okay. All right. And you haven't got – and straight away, you know, they're already analysing it. And in me, I'm already pulling back going, oh, goodness, am I doing this wrong? Am I doing this? And, but it's, the, the classic example is the Black Llama, the porter. Yep. The, one of the main reasons why um, Nathan came on uh, was because of the Black port, uh, the Black Llama. Because after he'd come down, I'd give him a, a, a growler to take home. And he called me that evening and he said, he said, I've, I've looked at your brewing recipe. I've checked your brewing sheets. It shouldn't work. Everything you've done with this beer should not work. He said, your hops you're using, the yeast you're using, your mash temperatures, everything. And he said, it doesn't make sense, but yet it's one of the best porters I've ever had. And I said, okay, well, that's pretty much everything is like that, (laughs) to be honest. So I said, if if you've got the sort of mind where you can, you know, just maybe just be a little bit lateral and understand the way I brew through my um, maybe amateur side, I said then, I think you know. I think you'll understand. I brew, but I, I think when I the, when I going back to what, sorry, what you asked is that when I went into the brewery for the first time, that that whole process of discussing it with him reassured me that I wasn't Barney and that my 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 style of brewing was okay and it was good. I, I think the hardest part was for me to I thought trying to train Nathan to to use the Browneister system and my control panels and my intercooling systems and my work transfer systems and all this other thing. I thought it would be weeks. I thought it would be absolute weeks trying to train this guy. Anyway, 48 hours later and I'm redundant. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the hardest part for me because, you know, suddenly, you know, you're dealing with professionals, you know, and people that do this for a living and really understand it. And, you know, they've always had, you know, dodgy pumps that they've got to kick, you know, to get them working or a screwdriver and something to get a valve working. So I've sort of opened, it was more about opening myself up to my brewery rather than necessarily the actual beer that came out of it. And and I think that was, that was probably, once we were over that, 
And then Nathan sort of sort of said, "Oh, why, why don't we put like an in inline filter in line with the heat exchange, just to make sure we strap all the the proteins out, just to make sure I haven't got anything else." And suddenly, I thought, "He's perfecting it." So he's he's seen a problem, he's perfected it. So he's already bought into it, and that was the thing for me. And that was that was one of the hardest things. So I I, I think the now I've got time. My brain is starting to work on sales and starting to work on marketing. And, 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 you know, you and I will be doing a lot of that going forwards because obviously we're very similar creatures with marketing. But I think with, with, with Nathan, I do not need to worry about brewing anymore yeah. because he's going to lead that. Although he is still letting me do the specials. So I, I get once a month to come up with a special that we brew together. So that's not a bad thing. Well, there you go. It's, I mean, that's that's what I always wanted with Emmanuel's was to, um, you know, when I envisioned it being much bigger and that I I was always like... I know I need to work on this business and be the kind of the MD of this business, but I still want to hand in brewing. And so I, I think that kind of model, if, if you know, if, if brewing is your passion, it, it works for people, I think. Um, you know, you get a bit of a hand in it every so often, but you're not like digging out a mash tun every single day, <laughs> you know. No, well, albeit in fairness, that's probably the most exercise most of us get nowadays, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. You know, because when we get home, we're so tired, we don't even think about going to the gym. You know, I've definitely put on weight since I left the Sheffield Brewery Company, that's for sure. <laughs> I used yeah. to eat oh. pork sandwiches at lunch and all sorts and not gain anything. Then a minute I left and got, a, you know, sat behind a desk doing design work all it, day. It, it, it was just like, yeah, the beer guts back. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I do think that with the brewing, I think um, I, I love brewing and it's definitely my passion. Hmm. But it does, it does come down to the fact that um, it's something I was told a long time ago, and that is to be successful in business, you've always got to employ people that are better than you. If you do that, then it makes your life easy uh, because, you know, whether it's marketing, sales, commercial accounts, uh, or actually doing manufacturing, if, if you're always happy to employ someone better than you and not feel intimidated, you'll always be successful. And I'm, I'm not intimidated by anybody that's better than me at anything. I, yeah. I just embrace it. Why? I always have. So. Why? wise words so just just while we're talking about the brewing um i want to touch upon a couple of things you said there uh but first talk to me about these brownmeisters because i remember the first time you told me about a 500 litre brownmeister i was like how how is that even possible so what are some yeah. of the advantages of working with a brownmeister of that size rather than just your traditional hot liquor tank mashed on brew kettle route Oh, there's absolutely no advantages whatsoever. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a proper wrestling machine. It really is. Um, uh, the, 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 to me, it, it's brewing is it's in its most simplest simplest form, because obviously um, you have uh, a kettle that sits in the middle, which is just a a big 500 liter ton uh, uh, metal tub, which has elements in it, and you sink the mash tun into the middle of it, where um, the Air, sorry, the water, which is heated up within the vessel, is pumped from the outside edges of the mash tun and the kettle back up through the centre. So it percolates, it pushes it back up to the middle, which forces all the sugars and everything from the malts, everything back out. And it just basically does a big convection right. uh, thing from the, from the outside through the centre and pushes it up through. Um, the main benefit of that is... Um, it, it, it's it's you can see everything you can smell everything you know it, it, it just you just know what's going on from the second you put the mash in to the to the second when you've got the last bit of work going out and you've got pro proteins grabbing the side you know you can see everything as it's going through even down to hops when you're putting the hops down you know that real beautiful tea smell that you're getting coming off and you're thinking wow you know you can already get the the, the grasp of it um 
hardest points of it really are, are, are the pulling the mash turn in and out because you know you've got 120 um, kg or 100 no kg of, 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 of malts that literally you're using a winch hand winch to lift out and pull out uh, gradually uh, but again a, a huge great benefit of the system is you don't need to sparge because the efficiency rates are so high that you don't lose anything you know it, it's an amazing system in that respect mm. so um it has it has many many benefits but it, it, it is a machine that it's not a push the button and sit back and do it it really is a grab the malt bag lift it into the middle make sure you don't spill any over the edges you know it's a really sort of visual system and uh and, and I think that was, again, one of the main things I was probably worried about with Nathan and Nathan coming on board with another brewer is that uh, it was almost taking a step backwards from a brewer's point of view because it was so simplistic as opposed to like a lot of the having a separate, uh, you know, mash churn and, a, and, a, and, a, uh, and obviously a kettle and, and all automated systems with pumps is none of that. It's one unit. And, and, and again, you don't need a hot liquor tank either because it's all done inside. So. Lots of benefits, but yeah, yeah, quite basic. And you've got two of them. But the German engineering, <laughs> yeah, I've got two, yeah. But the but I use the other one actually for sipping. So all of all of my caustics and everything, I use that one for. Oh, so right, you can I imagine see. that was juicily clean all the time because I use that one to clean out all the FBs. So right, I see. It's, it's expensive. See, I, it's I, expensive. I, I was having images because you're quite stacked. So I was like, if you're having like one one um, hand doing one winch and the other doing the other, be like, come on, beefcake. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I. Could. Good. You say, I'm over 50 now. You know, anybody you know looking at me would think to me, my goodness, should have given this up a long time ago. I love it. But yeah, it, it, it's 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 a good workout, and that's another thing I'm missing at the moment is the is, is the workout. Mm. But Nathan again just lifts them up and chucks them in. I'm thinking, I used to make that look really hard work. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to touch upon was we, when you were saying about um, black llama and, and the recipe that shouldn't work. Yeah. I, I um bef- before lockdown, which seems like another life ago now. So earlier this year, probably January, I think it was in Manchester, um, and I'd, I had two visits lined up the day. One was with Marble Brewing, and the other was with Beer Nouveau. Now Marble Brewing, yeah. if, if you've ever been, you know, it's um, I don't know how big it is. It's 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 you know, it's a fairly sizable um, microbrewery, uh, but you know, it's got all like the uni tanks and you know, steam powered brew house and all the rest of it um and then i went to be a nouveau with uh, this guy called steve dunkley and he, he's basically got like a, i think it's a two barrel kit and brews heritage recipe so all his beers go into wooden um pins and casks and barrels and all the rest of it oh, and and he was had a very similar approach saying oh, you don't need all this great kit to make great beer you just need to you know our listeners can go back and list those episodes and then he poured me some of these beers that he'd made on this little like this kit should shouldn't yeah. have been able to make beer put it that way <laughs> and he, he oh, poured exactly. these beers and they were absolutely incredible i was like Sorry. i've never tasted beers like this you know they were i mean the the wood obviously imparted a, a lovely characteristic to it you know and and i think that's and he was sort of making the point that you can get really brewers can get really snobby about certain things and there's a time and a place for that about the technicalities and the science but at the end of the day you can make great beer on anything the, th- the thing is it, you don't sell most of your beer to other brewers that's yeah. the thing so they're not the people you've got to impress the people i've always believed to impress is the people that are buying it which is the real people that really love ale and again even you know when you're dealing with the camera camera people you know and secret people they're they're not your biggest customers at the end of the day and and i think 
it's it's important to brew great beer, and I think something's lost on big batch beers nowadays. I really do, and I and I think that the attention that that is paid to smaller batch is a lot greater, and and that that is reflected in you know. I mean, initially, I, one of the things I used to mistakes I used to make when I used to talk to people about my beers, I always used to say to them, "Oh, you know, there's there's vanilla in this, or they you know, or there's plum, and there's there's a chocolate base in this, and there's a bit of cherry in that," and almost verbatim, the people will come back to you and say, "Oh, yeah, I got the chocolate, I got the cherry, and I got this, and that would be it," and I thought, "Oh, okay, that's not what." But then, probably about two months ago, I stopped telling people what they'd expect to get. And I would get 20 different responses of what people actually got from the beer. Mm. And that's when I really understood that, you know, everybody's palate's different. Everybody tastes something different. And that's the way it should be. And I, and I think with, with the smaller batches, obviously that what we're, we're producing is that we have more control over that. And I think we have more control over, you know, how we make sure that we make sure it's, it's, it's perfect. I'm not saying big batch beer isn't right and isn't. What I'm, what I'm saying is that, you know, uh, I, I think we have a far more control over the smaller batch stuff in order to tweak it and, and get it right each time it comes out. Mm. So you're based in Wiltshire. So what, what's the demographic like there yes. around as far as beer drinkers are concerned? Crikey, it's a, it's a haven, really, when you think about it. I mean, we've got, we've got some, some absolutely fantastic ale pubs round by us. Uh, I mean, as you know, I mean, the, 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 we got the Five Bells, which is a, obviously a wooden basset, and you know, it's renowned as a, a regular, regular camera winner, you know, with regards to uh, ales. But from us, I mean, obviously, uh, as, a, as, a, as a brewery, we deliver to Swindon, we deliver to Chippenham, we deliver to Marlborough, you know, Con. You know, we say a 10 mile radius, but we generally go a lot further out, you know, because all the time we're trying to expand people's, you know, knowledge of the beer and stuff, you know, and get more people to understand where we are. And I think, um, I, I think within a 10 or 15 mile radius now, a lot of people know the brewery. And we've got a really, really good following because I mean, we've heard it to a thousand. That doesn't sound like a huge amount for a small brewery, but a thousand followers, you know, on, on Facebook and so on with multimedia. And, you know, that's huge for us. I would say probably 80% of our sales is currently done through, you know, Facebook or Instagram just by keeping people up to date with what we've got available and what we've got for sale. It's, it's a big, it's a big tool. It's, it is a, it's a big um, uh, saver of marketing time by using that because you can do so much of it yourself. Yeah. Well, by by the time this episode comes out, um, listeners will be able to go back and listen to um, the episode um, with Amy Brooks from Content on Draft, but we talk about social media. But she she talks all about how to utilise Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and the other social media platforms and, and some of the key mistakes brewers are doing wrong. And um, it's, it's been interesting watching your social media and how active you are on it, actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and then from a distance and then see, seeing the results of people swinging by to fill up their growlers and so on. Yeah. Um, well, the, the web page has been massive. The web page has changed the whole profile of the business uh, uh, because the amount of people I've had, you know, call me and say, who's done your web page? Oh, my goodness, you know, and, and but the way we've done the web page is it accurately reflects us as a business, you know, from pictures of the, you know, the brewing pictures from where, you know, the, the, the tap room is and stuff, you know, and I think, you know, and, and, and I think that's what's the big sale point. 
people yeah. understand that we're local and that's really important i think i, I mean i'm bound to say this because to make web pages and stuff and, and do branding but I, I don't think my observation from a lot of brewers in the industry even some of the larger independents is that they don't understand the power of websites so having a website until coronavirus was pretty much like oh we'll put some information on it we might update the blog once in a blue moon and there it is you know and actually it's it's your biggest selling tool uh, you know and if, if you can funnel people through a, a sales channel on there and give them a call to action and it yeah. ties in with your brand it communicates the ethos and everything and obviously if you have a web shop which breweries definitely need a web shop now Georgia. um yeah. you know it's 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 massive so and then i'm always amazed that brewers in particular are surprised <laughs> like oh wow you know um, you, you know it's yeah the thing is, a lot of the bigger, a lot of the bigger breweries as well, they heavily rely on like bigger sponsorship deals, you know, whether it's for rugby clubs or football clubs and all these sort of things. So they, they rely on a lot of that work to be done for them. But uh, I've always believed in having a shop front for your business, mm. and the shop, the shop front is your web page. And if you haven't got that right, then people will just turn off and they go away. I mean, one of the biggest. And I, well, you can, obviously, this is quite an important part, really. One of, one of the, the biggest parts that we found with um, the brewery is, um, at the beginning, we, we just couldn't keep up with demand. People were out stripping of us a beer, so we'd brew a beer, and then we were, I mean, I was doing one a week. And as you know, within, within 10 days, all the beer was gone. So it was always a uh, wait for the next beer, wait for the next beer. And when I looked at my sales, uh, on the on the the, t- the tool that we're using for the shop, um, over seventy three times as much of revenue was lost through non availability of beer, non availability of beer on the site. So people would go in and looking for a beer, look put, looking in the shop basket but couldn't buy it. So say for instance, I had you know I don't know in in two months I had like ten thousand pounds worth of sales. Realistically. Had beer been there and been available, I'd have probably sold about 30, maybe 40. And that was real. You know, the, the, those stats were coming back. Had I not got the web page, had I not got the, the, the sales um, aside for, for, for the, obviously, for the web shop, I wouldn't have that information, not understand that. So the, the, another big factor for the reason for me bringing Nathan on was to make sure that we have the core four available all the time. Because if I'm losing that amount of sales through not having all beers available, then it's it's an absolute no brainer. Mm. You have to you have to have all beers available because somebody may come in and say, oh, you know, I really like the APA, but I'm going to try the Black Lion this time, or I'm going to try the Session. And whereas it could be a purchase of four beers, it could end up being ten, just for the sake of having everything available. So that that was the main driver behind that. Yeah, what have been some of the biggest challenges you've faced so far as a relatively newcomer to the beer industry? Um, Self belief, I think, is one of the biggest things. I, I think um, um, I appear to be hugely confident. Um, I'm not. Uh, I, I just, when I'm passionate about something, I can talk about it all day long. And uh, and uh, absolutely, um, I'm always heartfelt for it. That doesn't mean I'll ever make any money at it, but it means I'm absolutely passionate about everything into it, if mm. that makes sense. Yep. Um, but I, I think, um, yeah, so self-belief. But I also... I think just just getting that family life balance right has been the hardest thing, and that and that was that's really important because uh, yeah, I'm, I've, my my wife is my best friend at the end of the day, and uh, and I think it, it, and she's also my honest most honest critic 
So if, if she says no, it's generally for a reason, and that's not no, but that we're not going to do it. It's a no, you're not making any sense at the moment. Can you make some more sense? And then generally, you know, after a bit of time, we've had a chance to talk about it, you know, one way or another, we come up with the right solution. So, yeah, I, I think that's been very hard because I think if it had been up to me already, I'd have probably bought a 10-barrel system already, you know, rented somewhere and got everything going, whereas that's completely unrealistic because if I had done that, and we did COVID what we did, you know, I'd have had an awful lot of beer sat on my lap going nowhere. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's quite, I think that's, been quite important i think that's been quite important to understand that yeah i definitely think that's a, a huge life lesson um and i mean i totally resound with everything you just said there because i i went for a similar thing which is one of the reasons i, I left sheffield brewery um you know because it, it family life it it just felt like the brewery particularly with it not being my brewery either although there was some a lot of nuances well, in is. there with with having emmanuel's which was my brewery and brand as part of that business it's messy and complicated and it, you know yeah. so it, it wasn't just kind of like walking away from a job it was kind of like well I, I want to brew my beers and stuff but I need to walk away from this and and I had I reached this point where I was like what do I do you know do I just kind of accept that I just only ever need to brew on a small scale or do I go for it and and all the rest of it and I, I went through the process of looking at renting a railway arch and so on and so forth and and then I, I just I just woke up one day and I was just like, I just need to stop doing this for a while and get a clear head. And so I stopped doing the manuals yeah. and then not too long after I, I handed my notes in with the brewery, although the notes period was quite, quite long. But what I think what that did is, you know, at the time I felt with, with my wife, I was just like, oh, you know, it, it didn't quite feel like we're on the same page. And I knew she had my best interest at heart. And, and I can see retrospectively now that she could see I was in a, in a real taffle and a real mess. Yeah. Um, but you know, actually, in hindsight, I I needed to put the first thing first, and I wasn't, which yeah. was my family. And then, but Absolutely. I'm so thankful now because out of that, Hot Forward has has, has come about, uh, and I'm now setting up Emmanuel's on it, you know, in in my cellar just yeah. to kind of have a hand in brewing. And we we all we 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 both feel on board with that, and we feel on board with the vision of that. I remember the week that you did it. I remember you telling me that you were going to do it, and you'd made the jump. And I remember then, and I was thinking, why have you got any dates with doing it? Because you know it was crazy. You know, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Mm. And yeah, and, and and obviously, I think it was just before COVID. Actually, I think just before COVID really yeah, hit. It was. <laughs> and you were suddenly like, oh my god, where's you know, all my customer base? Where are they going to disappear from? But mm. you know, unfortunately for me, you were there, and uh, you know that helped bounce my business off. You know, right from the beginning. So, yeah. you know, it, it was it was great for all of us. I think. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, how's How's the coronavirus pandemic affected Broadtown Brewery so far? Well, for me, uh, I really don't want to say it, but it, it, it's been a springboard for my business uh, because um, we were, we'd were we only just really started delivering casks locally to a few pubs when we first started and we're bottling some small amounts as well. Um, but we immediately, when, when everything went and stopped, we went straight to deliveries and we went to using the 64-ounce growlers um, which, which was a completely new thing. But I had purchased a growler filler literally three weeks before the COVID thing right, wow. kicked in. So I was always I was always thinking about doing that way because I knew people would turn up to the tap room and I always wanted the ability to say, look, you can take one home with you if you want. You know, and I always wanted that. Um, so that, that was really, really a good move. So, um, yeah, I think I think our revenue really tri- tripled uh, in the first month purely by God. It was, it was a big change in what we wanted to do. Um, but uh, again... 
uh, obviously none of the none of the the pubs were talking to us nobody was talking to us you know no nobody was answering phones it was a, it was a very very difficult time but we, we just took the initiative and ran with it and, and it paid off so we were very lucky yeah interestingly about the growler thing um round corner brewing based in melton bowbury i was talking to um Cumby Cryan, who's one of the directors there and he said growlers literally saved their business yeah, um, absolutely. You know, they had a load of them sat in storage and then the, the, no route to market. The tap room was closed and it was just like, sell growlers. And it, yeah, yeah, he says he feels it, emotional looking at them still because, um, yeah. yeah, they would have gone under otherwise. Absolutely. And, and, and even now, I mean, I'm, with all of my uh, beers, I do a pre-sale from a Monday because I know they'll be ready on the Friday and already, say for instance, the growlers I've got, I mean, because I've got like 100 to go out on Friday, I've already sold half of them, and I know that between uh, over the weekend, um, beginning of next week, they'll all be gone, and then on Monday, then I, I, I pre-sell the bottles. So it's this constant cyclic yep. thing that we're doing, and, it, and it's really working. But it, it'll be so good, really, for me from the, from sort of the second, well, sorry, to the yeah, to the, the, the third week of August, because the core four beers will all be available hmm. in bottles, which again. Will because even now, the, the one thing that's picked up which really shocked me um, was straight away garden centres are contacting us. We'd never even approached the garden, garden centres and stuff at this point, and local sort of uh, farm shops. Um, I, I haven't had one phone call from a pub, which you know to me is 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 baffling. But you know already you know I've fifty percent of my bottles every month now are going to be going out to garden centres. Wow. Yeah. See, I. I remember reading the cask report that Pete Brown um, wrote for, I think it was for Sieber, and it might have been last year, I think, and he he had this pie chart, and it was like, um, basically 51% of the, the pie chart is, is off-license sales, and then on your on-license sales, he broke it down further, and it was like, there's like um, a quarter of those are basically free trade, and then half of that quarter, I think it was, are not pubs or similar venues you know they are like theatres and cinemas and so on it was like why aren't brewers going after those customers or like like in the off license thing as you mentioned like garden centres and stuff because I think most brewers want to pack up a thousand bottles send them off to a supermarket and not have to worry about it whereas to a garden centre I might be dropping off 48 bottles a week so it, it's it, for me, it's perfect because I'm such a small business and locally, you know, I've got a brewer that maybe twice, two days a week is cleaning and making sure everything's clean. Whereas if I say to Nate, uh, listen, we've got 400 bottles to do this week, I can do that, you know, when I can get those delivered. So it's, it's, it's quite a simple business model for me. But I think with the larger breweries, it, it's, it's, it's about getting them out the door. <clears throat> and I think that's, that's one of the things with Nathan that really surprised Nathan when he came on board is that he's saying to me, um, what's your feelings on beer when they leave from cask? And I said, nothing leaves until it's finished conditioning. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's a minimum two-week conditioning period for anything that's in cask or, or anything that goes into bottles. And he just looked at me and said, I've never heard anything like that. He said, for me, it's, you know, most breweries that I've worked for, it's, it's really about, you know, getting the beer out and getting out the door. And, and I said, well, I'm not prepared to do that. But then I have the luxury of being a small business that can say that. Because the, the, I'm so small that the second I have a bad beer go right, then, then as far as I'm concerned, that's my reputation gone. Yeah. So, and, and we're still in our infancy, you know. And we want, to, and I think that's the key thing about the brewery. I want it to stay niche, 
and I, th I think I wanted to stay um, small batch because that's it's enjoyable and it's controllable. And you know, seeing, seeing what a lot of the breweries have had to go through um, when COVID hit, and it's decimated decimated so many breweries. You know, and everybody would like to think that they would have been ready for that to happen or something. I, I don't think there's a brewery could have ever imagined what happened. No. No. And, and and I'm and I'm on I'm on you know the other side of the wave if that makes sense, you know going into shore whereas many many breweries were left the other side and they've never they left the sink, and um, yeah my heart goes out to all of them it really does but uh, thank you know thank God I was on the right side of it yeah so what what's your long term vision for Broadtown Brewery then um, other than being oh, massive you know, we're going to take over the world yeah there you go and then finally <laughs> no, sell no. out to Molson Course. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No, no, no. My, my whole, uh, my whole ethos with the brewery is, uh, and I think you know me quite well, is that I, I'm, I'm all about local produce. I'm all about uh, local, uh, how it works. I mean, we've we've got another cracking brewery here. You know, as, as you know, Hopkettle. You know, um, we got on well with these guys. Um, I'm I'm really interested in collaborations. I'm really interested in working with other breweries and and, and doing, uh, you know. For, for me, it's just perfecting our beers and getting our beers right so that, you know, we just get a thumbs up every time we make it. Um, unfortunate enough that, you know, selling out is not something I probably want to think about even at this point or even before <laughs> this time. But, but um, it's, it's a bit of a legacy thing as well because, as you know, I've got three boys and uh, the thought of one of them eventually taking it over and running it, yeah, makes me smile, I think. And I think if, if that was something I could achieve, I, I would make me very happy. Um, but I, um, for me, I'd, I mean, the response we've had from the local community here from Broadtown, also from Royal Wood and Bassett, um, has been phenomenal. You know, people are so pleased that we're doing it, you know, and certain people are really, really, you know, committed and go out of their way to come and support us. So I, I think that's a two-way street. So we, we need to make sure that we're, you know, meeting, you know, and, you know, and making sure that we're repaying all that, all that time they're giving us. Really. Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks for being on the show, Jason. It's, it's, it's I, I, I love chatting to you anyway, regardless of whether we've got a microphones recording or whether we're just having a chat, because um, you. You, you give off some really good energy and positive vibes. And, and, and I think in a time when there's a lot of turmoil in the industry, obviously coronavirus is one thing, you've got the whole SBR um, thing kicking off as yeah. well. There's other kind of systemic things that need to change, like equality and in, in employment and and pay, and mental health stuff and so on. And when I talk, whenever I talk to you, I, it always reminds me of when I when I first got into the beer industry, and that excitement of oh, you know, I get to make beer, and and it's what a great industry to be in. Rather than you know, you do come across some of the kind of like the older jaded crowd, or not even the older jaded crowd, just the jaded crowd <laughs> and um yeah. so yeah th th thank thanks for being on the show and, and sharing that uh, my pleasure. Um, it's my pleasure how how can people find out more about brewer town brewery and, and how can they get all of your beers and um I'll, I'll just say this off the cuff um and this is off my own back um the the the, the one i've had triple bassett was amazing so it'd be really good thank to you. um yeah. point other people to the to the pleasures as well well i, I think um the, the web page as you know like uh, uk is is, is a main point now to, to um yeah to, to, to reach us i mean my mobile number's on there people can talk to me direct because that's the way i like to, to deal with people i don't care if i've got 40 cares uh, calls a day you know just with, with people want to chat because i'm good at that um 
but also we have the web page. It would be great if they could follow us because it keeps them up to date with what we've got available uh, and what's coming out. And, and, and you know, hopefully this wretched COVID thing will be over soon and then people can come down and actually sit in the brewery with us and they can come and watch us brew or they can sit in the tap room to the side and they can take it and have a drink straight off the tank, which is what we're all about. Amazing. And they can see your alpacas. Yeah, absolutely. They're the three boys. So that's the one thing about it. The only thing I really failed with is I, I didn't really promote their names. So, you know, Tarquin, Barney and Duke are the three boys and uh, they were the really driving force behind me actually, you know, coming up with the brewery and all of that. So, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Oh, this, this time, yeah. This, the, the reserve range, the alpaca reserve. <laughs> there you go, the yeah, alpaca absolutely. reserve. <laughs> amazing. Uh, that's a great one. I love that. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Jason. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, Nick. All the best. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Forward podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at Hot Forward Beers. Until next time, cheers. Hey,